0: And open your Bible, please, while we remain standing here to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians and chapter number 15. In your Bible, please, our scripture today, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And I begin reading God's Word here in verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15 and 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead. And he has become the first fruits of them that slept. And since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Every man in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, and then afterward they that are Christ at his coming. And then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. And heavenly Father, will you fill me with your Spirit, control every word and thought and gesture? I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable to you first and most of all. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Back when COVID first started, it's been a a year and a week now, hadn't it, since things closed down. But I am listening to... uh, people's words and conversations with people, our members and other people as well, I began to see that people were not thinking about death at all from a Christian perspective. Their paradigm about death didn't sound like a Christian. It sounded more like a pagan. And all I could hear was fear, 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 fear. And none of us want to die. We all want to avoid it as absolutely long as possible. Of course, God put within us that survival instinct. On the other hand, much of the sting of death is removed if we properly understand it scripturally. And so over the months, I began working on a little series of messages that I've called the Christian after death. Most of what I'm saying does not apply to unsaved people that's a different series this is a series on the christian after death what happens after i draw my last breath and so i've preached now for three or four weeks on death and now today we're changing the direction though it's the same series i want to talk about the resurrection and in reflecting on my own ministry you know I regret to say, I've never preached a very thorough series on the resurrection. And I never heard anybody else preach one either. So I guess that's why I didn't. And it just never occurred to me. We talk about the resurrection on Easter Sunday, but we talk about the Lord's resurrection. So to talk to people and have an opportunity to thoroughly teach what the Scripture says about the resurrection, boys, I have enjoyed being able to present these kinds of messages because I don't think that we've thought about this because uh, we just don't. It's just the busyness of life and so on. But there's an entire doctrine of the resurrection and especially as it pertains to believers, to Christians. So we've talked about death a lot. Now we're going to turn it to the positive side today and we're going to talk about the resurrection body. Next week, I'm going to enlarge on this and talk about the glorified body. And then on Easter Sunday, of course, we're going to talk about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus and kind of bring all of it together. So today, the resurrection body. We began here in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is a wonderful chapter. It's a landmark chapter. You should note in your mind, if not even in your Bible, This is one of the most important chapters in the Bible for a Christian. It it gives us a whole range of information that we need to know. And it is the most thorough discussion in all of the Scripture regarding the resurrection. Nowhere else in the Bible will you find this much information in one place about the resurrection that we Christians will participate in. But it's also the clearest statement in the Bible of the gospel it begins with the gospel years ago we had a huge plaque made and it's on the wall right up here at the in the foyer and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's these first five verses read them with me again in your Bible it's familiar but you just can't uh, you can't overdo the gospel can you And in chapter 15 and verse 1, moreover, brethren, Paul said, I declare unto you the gospel. Now, that's a clear statement. I'm going to tell you what the gospel is, which I preached unto you, which you received, and wherein you stand as Christians, by which you're saved, if you will keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. I delivered unto you, and then Paul gives us an outline. Now, this is not every detail of the gospel because the gospel really involves the whole life of Jesus Christ. In the opening statement of the book of Mark, it says that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that means everything in the book of Mark is the gospel in in one sense. Paul says, though, I'm going to give you an outline. Point one, first of all, verse 3 how that Christ died for our sins. So the foundation of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, the Old Testament prophecies that describe the death of a coming Messiah. Number two, that he was buried to prove, to demonstrate that he was in fact dead and for three days he was in the tomb. And then, number three, he arose again the third day according to the Scriptures again, the prophecies that said he would rise. And then that he was seen, number four, seen of Cephas, Peter, of the twelve. And then in verse six, over 500 Christian brethren at one time, of whom the greater part still are alive and could give eyewitness testimony. Any attorney would love having 500 witnesses for his case, wouldn't he? And there are over 500 eyewitnesses of the resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the clearest statement of the gospel in the Bible. And the Bible says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who will believe it. And so today, if you've never been saved, The way to become a Christian, the way to have eternal life, the way to be born again is simply to hear and believe and to accept, receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and then depend on it throughout the rest of your life. Never turn back from it. That is what we call salvation or justification. So, This is a powerful, powerful chapter. I think you can see that by now. Now, number one, though, today, talking about the resurrection body, when God saves us, he saves us body, soul, and spirit. When God saves us, he saves us wholly, completely, fully, thoroughly, finally. You see, you come to a church And all you hear is about the spiritual life, and that's our thing. At the hospital, you get treated for your physical problems. At the church, you get treated for your soul and your spirit, for the spiritual realm. And you might get the idea sitting in church over the years that the body really wasn't that important to the Lord, that it just makes sure you're saved, just makes sure you have eternal life, that the spirit and soul's okay. But that's not the way it is at all. You see, God is interested in fact, I believe I could say he is just as interested in what is going to happen with my body as he is with my soul and my spirit. Now, let me try to prove that to you. And if you'll turn in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians, just go to the right there, a few books, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, and let's look at a key verse that we've looked at, but let's, let's go back to it. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you. That's to make you holy. Sanctify you holy. And I praise God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible says that God is interested in my body as well as my soul and my spirit. God is interested in our whole person. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I taught something that I want to come back and revisit because I, I don't want anybody here to, to miss this. Every soul has a body. In the, in the Bible, when we see the word soul, there is a body somewhere. The body not and soul might not be together, which would mean the person has died. Death literally means separation in the Greek and the Hebrew of the Bible. One word. Death is separation. Separation of what? It's the separation of the soul from the body. And every soul has a body. A spirit doesn't have a body, so we distinguish between soul and spirit by saying a soul has a body. If the person is dead, the body may be in the ground buried. It may have been lost at sea. It might have been blown up in an explosion at 9/11 or somewhere else. But there is a body, there was a body connected to the soul. The spirit on the other hand has no body, never had a body. And so God is a spirit, the Bible says. And God has no physical body. Jesus uh, Jesus became God in the uh, God, the second person became a human being, took on a body, but God the Father has no body. He's a spirit. The angels, the book of Hebrews says, are ministering spirits. Angels have no body. Satan himself is a spirit. He has no body. Now, sometimes I think I've met him, but but, uh, Satan has no body body he's a spirit being and the soul is always disenfranchised the soul is always wanting that body because it wants to be complete do you remember when jesus was talking to his apostles after the resurrection he said to them feel my hands and my feet and he ate with them because he was demonstrating to them that he was not a spirit or an aberration. He was not a ghost. He was a real human being. And then as he spoke to them and they felt his hands, he said, a spirit hath not flesh and bones. A spirit never has a body. A soul always has a body somewhere. Now, having understood that now, the human soul, if you went to heaven and you never had your body, you would be incomplete. You would not be whole. You would be only part of what you were on the earth. And so the resurrection reestablishes that wholeness, and the body, soul, and spirit are together. The word resurrection in your Bible Always, without fail, I I studied hard on this this week, and I don't think there's a single exception. Resurrection, the word always refers to the raising of a dead body from the grave. Always that. And the word resurrection has nothing to do with the soul and the spirit because we don't inter the soul and the spirit, do we? The soul and the spirit were never buried, so they don't need to be raised. They went to be with the Lord or they went some other place But the resurrection always has in mind the raising of a dead body from the grave. Now keep that in mind. And unless that body, now think with me, let's let's apply some logic in Scripture, they always mix well. Unless that body that is raised from the grave is the same body that went into the grave, then we couldn't really say there's been a resurrection. A resurrection infers and implies that the, the same thing that was put in the ground is going to come out of the ground in a new form, but it's going to come out of the ground. So we call that act of the resurrection the body being glorified, glorified. And so we talk about the glorification of the body. There are three stages in your Christian life. And don't ever forget them. This is very basic. There is justification when God declares us righteous. We call justification salvation. When we trust Christ and the blood of Jesus is applied to our souls and our sins are forgiven and the Holy Spirit moves in, I'm just as if I never sinned. That's the way to remember that big word, justification. The second phase of the Christian life is where you are right now. If you're a Christian and you're alive, everybody qualify? Then if you are alive and you're a Christian, you're in that sanctification stage. We're being sanctified, meaning God is working in our lives to make us like Christ. And through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the church and all the other means of grace, we call it, God is working to make us Christ-like, to perfect us. And then we die, and our souls go to be with the Lord, and our bodies go in the ground. And on the resurrection day, the soul comes, the body's resurrected, they're rejoined, and we say then we're glorified, meaning a glorified body. The word glorify has the idea of the ultimate state that anything can be. It is at the pinnacle of its perfections and its being. So when I'm raised from the dead, that will be the pinnacle of what God made me to be. I will be perfected. I will be glorified. And when Christ was resurrected from the grave, his body was glorified and all the accounts after the resurrection, which we're going to look at those next week, Lord willing, they show us what the glorified body for us will be because Jesus Christ, it says that we will be like him. And so we're going to look at him as the model for us. Now, at the resurrection then, my mortal body, even though it may have turned to dust in the ground, My mortal physical body will be transformed, raised up, reconstructed, put together as not a mortal physical body that has an end to it, but as an eternal body that will live in the presence of God forever and ever like the body of Jesus Christ at his resurrection. So when God saves us, He doesn't have in mind just saving our soul. He's saving us body, soul, and spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now, number two, the Scripture teaches us that there's two distinct resurrections. There are two separate and distinct resurrections that are going to occur in the future. When I listen to people talk often, their idea seems to be that, oh, there's going to be that great getting up morning. And the whole world is going to resurrect at the same time and the Lord's going to come back and we call that a general resurrection where everybody's saved or resurrected rather on the very sa- at the very same time. It's not what the Bible teaches. Listen to some scriptures. Daniel 12 and verse 2. Those that sleep in the dust shall awake to resurrections, some to everlasting life, some to shame and contempt. John five twenty eight 28 and 9. Jesus talked about the resurrection of life, and then he spoke about the resurrection of condemnation, two separate resurrections. The resurrection of the just and the unjust. And the Bible talks about the right, the resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, you have your Bible open, I think, to 1 Corinthians 15. Slip down there to verse number 23 and let me show you about these resurrections. And in verse 23, every man in his own order. So that phrase there, I want it to stick in your mind, there is an order in the resurrections. And every Christian will fit into one of those phases, if you will, of the resurrection. Now, let's look at phase one. What was Because there are three phases in the first resurrection. Now, let me back up. The first resurrection is for believers. All the saved people that ever lived are going to all be resurrected before the first unsaved person is resurrected, okay? And it's going to happen over a long period of time. So let's look at phase one of the resurrections. And let's go now down, if you will, to verse 20. Now is Christ risen from the dead, and he's become the first fruits of them that slept. The first fruits. What's the first fruits? What's it talking about? It's talking about that when the farmer plants the harvest and the Harvest, he plants the field, and the harvest is about to come in. The the fruit is just about to get ripe. He goes out, and his first gathering of the fruit, maybe he pulls some apples from the tree or a handful of grain or a handful of strawberries, and he samples them to make sure that they're ready and they're ripe. The first fruits, the first gathering of a brand-new harvest. And the Bible says Christ is that. And he resurrected. So there's phase one of the first resurrection was the resurrection of Jesus. Now, you say, but other people were resurrected. Didn't Jesus resurrect some people from the dead? Yes, he did. But they died again. Lazarus, the, all them, Jairus' daughter and so on. He raised them, but... They were going to die because the seeds of death were still in their body, if you will. Jesus is the first person who was ever resurrected that would never die. Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave and he will never die. He has eternal existence, eternal being, if you will. And of course, he raised people from the dead himself, they died. And, of course, there were a few people that were raised from the dead when Jesus was raised from the dead. The Bible says that the graves of of some other saints opened. We don't know how many, a half dozen or a hundred. We, We have no idea. But, of course, they died too. The first person ever in all of human experience that is resurrected to die no more is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the first fruits. Now, phase two is in verse 23 also. Every man in his own order, first Christ the firstfruits, and then afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. And so now we have phase two of the first resurrection of the Christian. And who are they? They that are Christ's, that's the saved, that's God's people. Keep your hand there, and let's go back over again to the book of 1 Thessalonians because it so parallels what I'm talking about. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, and 1 Thessalonians 4, that passage that I read at the committal service at every funeral that I conduct for a Christian. If I know the person is a Christian, I'm going to read the account of the rapture. Now, let's look at it in the light of what I'm talking about, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 15. This we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, and that's the old English for precede. So those of us who are alive are not going to precede those that are in the ground sleeping when the rapture occurs. For the Lord himself... Will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ. Who are the dead in Christ? That would start with Adam, and that would come all the way through all the Old Testament saints. Everybody who was a believer in the Old Testament will be resurrected. Resurrected. And then that includes all the New Testament saints from Calvary up until the very day that the Lord Jesus Christ comes in the rapture. So the host of God's people, the believers of all the ages and those that sleep in the ground will experience that first resurrection phase number two. And then we which are alive and remain, verse 17, will be caught up together with them In the clouds, we'll meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And don't forget that last verse, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. There's the comfort for the Christian. That's why the death of a Christian is so different. Don't buy into the pagan hopelessness that the rest of the world has. No, we don't want to die. Death is the last enemy. It's a horrible, horrible thing. But you know what? We are immeasurably ahead of the rest of the world. Praise God today. When we die, there's hope. There's a future. There's a future there. Now, there's a third phase. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 and the rapture occurs, and then we go into the tribulation period. So we got seven years, and we, we find out from reading carefully the book of Revelation, I believe there'll be as many people saved during the tribulation period, possibly as were saved during the whole time from the cross up until the rapture. And you say, wow, why, on what basis would you make a statement like that? On this basis, if there's seven billion people in population on the earth. Do you know when Jesus Christ lived on the earth, there were 200 million? We have 7 point something billion now. And if you will compare that, it wouldn't take that high a percentage of the current population of the world, it wouldn't take that high percentage of them to equal the number of people that were saved all through history from Calvary up until the rapture. So it's going to be a revival of sorts. I mean, once the tribulation gets started, there's going to be a lot of people who understand what's going on. And they're going to tr- many of them are going to trust Christ. They didn't have the chance to be saved here on earth. However, most of them will die. They'll be martyrs. And you see in the Bible, the martyrs who died for the Lamb, they're clothed in the white linen. Their souls are at the altar. We touched on that a week or two ago. Now, in Revelation 20, all those tribulation saints, at the end of the tribulation, and the beginning of the millennium, we're down at verse 4 of Revelation 20, and all the people that refused the mark of the beast and gave their life for it, they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, they raised up to live with him through the millennium. And the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection, all three phases of it. These are three phases called the first resurrection, and they're for believers. Now, what about the unsaved? We'll just slip down to verse number um, You're in chapter 20 there. Slip down to verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And these are the unsaved. These are the Christ rejecters. These are the unbelievers who refuse the gospel. And in verse 13, the sea gave up the dead which were in it. You see, God's reclaiming those bodies. Death and hell were delivered up. They delivered up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And then they're cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. You don't want to be there. Whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the word of the Lord. I hope you believe that. You may not. A lot of people today don't. But I hope that you're listening to those words. There's no more solemn words ever been spoken. And yet no more glorious words when we think about what is really entailed in the resurrection. So we have the first resurrection, three phases, Christ the firstfruits, all of the dead now before the rapture, and then the phase three, the tribulation saints who were martyred, raised up before the millennium and going through the millennium with the Lord Jesus. And then the second resurrection, and that's all the unbelievers of all time, from Adam forward. And that will happen at the end of the world, really. Now, you've got the timeline and 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 how this will happen in their order to quote that verse. Now let's talk about the resurrection body. Because Paul writes here, let's go back to 1 first, uh, first Corinthians chapter 15, with if if you'll come back with me there. Now let's go down to verse number 35, 1 Corinthians 15 and 35. Some will say, how are the dead raised then? If, if there is a resurrection, Paul establishes there is a resurrection. And then somebody's going to ask, well, how does this happen? And we're going to spend the rest of this morning and then all of next week on how that resurrection of the believer is going to look. Now, in verse 38 then, not verse 38, verse 35, I'm sorry. Some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body, with what kind of body do they come out of the grave? What's this resurrection body going to be like? Now, the Scripture teaches us, listen carefully to me here. It doesn't say it by some inference. But if you'll take the Scriptures that describe the the resurrection, the Scripture teaches logically and directly that we're going to have the same body in heaven that we had on earth. Even though it's going to undergo a tremendous change, the body that you have now, you're going to have that body in heaven. It will be in a transformed state but you're going to have it. Let's, a, a different way to say it is, if the, the dust that once composed my body a hundred years after I die, let's say, if the dust that once composed my body doesn't rise up, I haven't had a resurrection. If the Lord gets new dust <laughs> and makes me a new body, which I guess he could if he wanted I know he could if he wanted to. But if he uses new dust, you wouldn't say that's a resurrection. You'd say that's a recreation, wouldn't you? A resurrection, by definition, means a dead body comes up out of the grave, reconstructed, put together anew and afresh and in a new form. Wednesday night, I preached on the transfiguration passage where Jesus goes up on the mountain with his disciples. And he's transfigured, the Bible says. And he shines with this brilliant light, and his clothes glisten like the snow. And if you look at the word transfigured, it's the Greek word metamorphosis. And the metamorphosis means something is so changed, it takes on a completely new nature, and yet it's the old thing itself best illustration I can come up with is the little caterpillar that's crawling around this time of year, and it goes into that cocoon, and after a period of time, it comes out a beautiful butterfly, but the same DNA, the same substance that went into that cocoon as an ugly critter now flies away as a beautiful, beautiful butterfly, a, a metamorphosis, a trans. Transfiguration has occurred between that worm and that butterfly, and you and I, our bodies will go into the soil of this earth, and they'll go in as the worm, (laughs) and we'll come out parallel in my illustration as the butterfly. We'll come out as a wonderful, glorious thing that the Lord has transfigured. He's changed. And so Paul says, well, what's the body going to be like in heaven? When I was a little boy growing up, I loved my granddad Monroe, my dad's dad. Oh, man, I thought the world of him. He was my buddy. And my granddad Monroe had been a conductor on the Fe Railroad. And one day he was coupling up cars. One, uh, cars. One night he was coupling cars. And he slipped on the tracks and fell under the moving train It was just starting. And it cut both of his legs off. One of them right up above the knee, one right below the knee. He was about 50 years old at the time. He, he fought it. He coped with it. He became a mailman after that. Went to work for the post office for a few years, but then arthritis and other problems set in. And by the time I was a 12-year-old boy, he was pretty well confined. He would sit in a, wheelchair and boy the wheelchairs of those days I mean take a hundred pounds to push them you know they were big old wooden things and I remember him sitting in that wheelchair he had two artificial legs but they were heavy he couldn't even stand to wear them all day long it's you know you can't compare what people have today with what they had then and most of the day he'd sit on his bed and watch tv and every Saturday we went to see him and so every Saturday afternoon black and white television with one aerial, only TV in the neighborhood, so a lot of the neighbors found it convenient to come by and visit with us. And I would sit there on the bed, and my granddaddy and I would drink Pepsi-Cola, and he would smoke cigarettes, which I occasionally did, not with him, but I would pilfer one every now and then to see how that worked. And then we would watch Shoot'em Ups, Lopalong Cassidy and Gene Autry and all that. And I love my granddaddy. And I remember saying, granddad, are you going to have new legs in heaven? Are you going to be able to walk and run and play with us and be like everybody else? And he would say, Billy, I am going to." God's going to give me new legs in heaven. I don't think that means as much to us who are whole and healthy as it does people like my granddad. that They're going to get a new body, a new body. I've illustrated through the years one of my favorite illustrations, and you may have heard it, but I want to hear it again. And so I'll tell it one more time. What about the guy that served in Vietnam? He gets his leg shot, shot off. And a medic sutures him up and they dispose of the leg. He comes back to America. He lives in New York and one day he slams his, gets his finger hung in a cab door in New York. And he slams the door on it uh-oh. Now he's got a leg in Vietnam and he's got a finger in New York. And then he moves to South Carolina, and he dies. And over the years, it turns to dust. And so, leg in Vietnam, finger in New York, body in South Carolina. What's going to happen to him on the resurrection day? I can show you exactly. Turn in your Bible to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 in your Bible and we've looked at this, but let's look at it again with a little bit of a different view. Psalm 139 and verse number 15. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. I want you to notice there, God has a book. And the members there refers to the parts of our body, our body, our body's members. And the Bible says that all of our members were in his book written. God has, if, if some of the pieces got blown up in Vietnam and lost in New York, God still has the pattern. Nothing's going to be lost. My granddaddy's going to have his legs. The man's going to have his foot restored. We're going to be like Christ. We're going to be perfect in heaven. Now, there's going to be a powerful change from what we are now, that metamorphosis, and we're going to have glorified bodies. We shall be like him, 1 John 3, 2. But on the other hand, we're going to have the same body. It'll be the same in essence as it is right now, except a glorified body made for the ages, made for eternity. It'll be the same in its essence, but it'll be different in both its form and its function. The most common compound on this planet is water, H2O, the chemical formula for water. And that H2O at room temperature is a liquid water. If we freeze it below 32 degrees, it becomes ice. But under certain conditions, it can freeze and it's snow. And then we can put it in a tea kettle and boil it and it becomes vapor. Now, it's all H2O. You got H2O water, H2O snow, H2O ice H2O vapor. But here's what's interesting. All of them the same essence. But I can get in the river or the pond or the pool and I can sink in water. But you can freeze that over and it'll support me. H2O one time will let me sink. H2O in the other place will support a tractor trailer driving across a lake. And then... If you look at the snow, it's H2O falling down, but you look at the vapor, it's H2O rising up. Isn't that great? Well, I thought it was. It is. It's great because God has such a sense of humor. You see, he takes the same chemical compound and has it function in so many different ways. And if he made me in his image and breathed into me the breath of life, don't you think that he can take that dust out of that grave and he can make it into a glorious thing that's going to live throughout all of eternity? Amen, he can. Now, let me show you the great verse. And this will just, if there's any bless in you, this will bless you. You have any blessing in you? I hope you do. Philippians chapter number 3 in your Bible. Philippians chapter 3. Let me show you just one verse that kind of pulls together everything that I've been talking about. Philippians 3, and it's verse 21. It says, referring to Christ, who shall change our vow, vow meaning common, vow meaning the lowest form of, into His glorious, likened to His glorious body, and glorious again being the ultimate form. From the vow, the lowest, to the glorious, the highest, He will change our bodies. I don't understand all that. Boy, I don't purport to understand, but it's a small little bit. I understand the part that the Bible tells me, and no, no more. I can't go beyond the Scripture. But I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, as a Christian, you and I have such, wonder, such a wonderful future, a glorious future. And we don't want to die. We want to live as long as we can and enjoy our lives. But I want you to look beyond that and think like a believer that God has plans for me and God has plans for you, and they don't end at the grave. They are an eternal plan, a glorious plan. Benjamin Franklin in 1728 was 22 years old, and he wrote an epitaph that he hoped would go on his tombstone. It wasn't. They didn't use it for his stone, I looked at a picture of his tombstone, and it simply says on it, Benjamin and Deborah Franklin, 1790. Both of them died in the same year. But the epitaph is on a brass plaque at the gate where you enter into the little compound structure there where he's buried in Philadelphia. And here's what he wrote. And it's so beautiful. You know, Franklin had a lot of questionable morality. But boy, I tell you, somewhere along the line, he understood what the Bible teaches about the body. The body of B. Franklin Printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here, food for worms. But the new work shall not be wholly lost, For it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and improved by the author. Isn't that great? That's what we believe as Christians. That's the doctrine, the Christian doctrine of the resurrection of the body. A glorious, wonderful doctrine indeed. Stand to your feet with me, me, if you will, please.